We hope you enjoy listening to this weekly podcast from Lifeline Church. Find out more by visiting lifelinechurch.co.uk. So, um, yeah, so we've been learning a lot about Kings recently, the book of Kings. And, uh, well, today I, I, I sort of, I've changed the title overnight because that's just kind of how my mind works. I have to keep fiddling with things until it's too late and then I just say what I've got. So, um, But um, it was going to be the very catchy title of Meditations on Psalm 118. <laughs> it's become pressing on towards the goal, which is far more oomphy and, and, uh, and so on. The scripture comes from Philippians, this particular scripture. I'm sure you're familiar with it. Not that I have already obtained all this, says Paul, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider yet myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, I forget what's behind, straining towards the goal, what is ahead. I pre- sorry, <laughs> straining toward what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You know, we've heard over and over again over the years, we talk about um, our church being a church that's on a pilgrimage. You know, and we've done that because of really the heart that God's given John to, to press on and to move on. And if you ever wanted to see this scripture made real, you just have to look at the way that John lives. And I just wanted to say that at the start because I'm not pretending that I'm an expert in this, but I am excited by it because I see something in the scripture and in Psalm 118 that helps us to keep pressing on towards the goal. You see, as I said, in this last term, we've been looking at the time of the kings uh, and um, we've reached a point in the story of, of, uh, of the kings that feels like it's pretty hopeless. Okay, Um, so how can faith survive when the situation looks so bad? You know, we've seen poor leadership, this is in Kings, by the way, making (laughs) idols, wrong priorities, even encouragement to sin to worship the wrong thing. And in the midst of it all, yeah, there are those that know God's voice. Today, we can learn to do the same. Now, just to start off with, I thought I'd, try and look like I know what I'm talking about. So I was trying to work out, so where does Psalm 118 come in relation to the book of Kings? So, you know, is it before it, after it, during it? What is it? And I realised just how bad I was at placing the books in order. So very quickly, you can see that, and that's everything, right? It's far too small. Is it too small for you to see? Probably. I didn't know we'd be this way around. Um, this is all the books right, of the Old Testament, starting with Genesis on the left. Uh, We don't really know where Job was. Job could be even further left, so we don't want to worry about that one. Probably not further left than the start of Genesis, but (laughs) but its it's state is a bit uncertain. Anyway, and then we come across, and we see one and two kings, which I've sort of put a red line around so you can see where it is. Now, underneath here, I want you to notice that the books of the prophets... Where do they sit? Well, the books of the prophets are here. They are around the time of one or two kings. So in the midst of all this madness, in the midst of this crazy leadership, 
the voice of God is still being heard. And I just wanted to sort of zoom in then to the timeline of the prophets themselves. And just to think about the fact, as we're coming to this particular season, we are celebrating the birth of a child. And that child was foretold by someone called Isaiah. Now Isaiah, it tells us in the book of Isaiah, came to, to meet with God specifically in the year that King Isaiah died, or sometime around then. Now Isaiah is in the book of Kings, and um, I don't know, oh, I can, oh look. <sighs> wow, wow. So now you can see how much my hand's shaking. So here's Isaiah, right? And we've, I think we've only got to about here in the book of Kings, right? And you'll notice in the book of Kings, these are all the kings going along here, there's really not a lot going on in terms of prophecy. But then God starts stirring the prophetic voice, getting ready to move his people onto the next thing that he has for them. God gave Isaiah a vision that became the longest book of prophecy recorded. It started with a revelation that he was a man of unclean lips, that he couldn't actually get things right. And yet at the end of that time, when God cleansed him with a coal, he said, here I am, send me. So Isaiah 9 verses 6 to 7 says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne, upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time and forever, and the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. In the midst of the tales of the terrible kings, God gives Isaiah a vision of a king and a kingdom that would never, ever pass away. And we, I wanted to just look at um, another psalm, or another bit of the Bible. So it's a psalm, Psalm 118. And we think that Psalm 118 is a psalm of David, which means it goes back, if we look at the timeline, uh, yeah, so if we look at the timeline, so it's a psalm of David, but it was used particularly at this time. So David wrote it here, and it was particularly used here when they reopened the temple, basically, when they rebuilt the temple, and there was this uh, opportunity to come together. And um, it's a psalm that was used as, as part of something called the, the Passover. Now, in the story of, uh, the, of Holy Week, which is not the time we have now, I suppose every week's a Holy Week, but in the story of Easter, Passover is what Jesus is up to the night before he's betrayed. And although this is a psalm of David, it's really important to know that it's also a psalm of Jesus. It's, one that, it's what he carried on Friday as he went through what he went through on Thursday through to Friday. This is what he had just been meditating on the before. And I want us to, to spend a bit of time this morning looking at the words of this psalm we, I brought it to you last week as a kind of way to, to sort of start off our, our time together. But I just felt there was something more for us here. Um, it's quoted in the book of Ezra, as I say, at the rebuilding of the temple. But the, the key thing is that this psalm is a psalm I want us to, is about getting through a time which isn't so good to a time when God has got a whole new episode in our lives and I want us to look at that in 
in, in that context. So, so it starts off with, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. You know, God is good, but the enemy lies. And one of the things that the enemy will try to do is to persuade you that God isn't good. It is a tragedy that some people look at the world around them and can't see the hand of a loving God in it. And yet God is good. A wise man, or man, men often say, with so much evil in the world, how can you believe in a good God? With so much love in the world, how can you not believe that there is a God of love? Our message is that God is right here in the midst. So we'll see throughout the psalm that God, tend, that the, the psalmist, that's David, we think, the person who wrote the psalm, he tends to repeat things for emphasis. And already you can see, this is not padding, but he wants people to know that God's love endures forever. God is good. God is good in the sun and in the rain. You know, God is good uh, in seasons of waiting. God is good um, when, when things don't happen that we ask for, when our hearts rejoice, but when we're mourning. God is still good. God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. So on the night of his betrayal, Jesus would have meditated on this psalm, and uh, the first verses talk about um, the goodness of God. The second verse says, let Israel say. Now, Israel means all the people of Israel. That's the people who, live in, who lived in the, in the country of Israel. Not to do with today's Israel, but to do with the people that lived. So that was everybody who was following God. In verse 2, the house of Aaron means those that, that, that were specially gifted to, to be priests um, and Levites. Those were those that prepared the temple for when it was time to meet with God. And, and lastly, it says, all those that fear the Lord. So that's not just those who are geographically close to Jerusalem, but that's everyone who fears the Lord. Let his know that his love endures forever. Now, you know that in the New Testament, we talk about different words for love. Um, and people like talking about ag agape or agape. Or, uh, well, this isn't anything, to, this is a, a Hebrew word, and it's hesed. He said. Anyway, I'm going to say it's he said. But it's a love, it's the love, not, it's the love of a covenant. It's an eternal love. Uh, sometimes, some translations call this like uh, everlasting mercy. Um, it's a kind love. It's not just a, it's not just a feeling, it's something that lasts forever. And as I said to you last week, there's something else that's a bit strange about this verse, because it talks about his love enduring forever. Now, I'd like to think that the gospel of grace isn't something that you had to endure. I'd like to think that, you know, you could just float on a cloud and just go, part, go through life. Yet, actually, what we find is that there are seasons in life that are quite hard work. So which is it? Is it about grace and God just making everything easy, or is it about endurance and testing and trials? Well, 
I'm going to jump to another verse completely different from Colossians 1, which I felt God speak to me about uh, through the other day, uh, to try and illustrate the point. So Paul writes in Colossians 1, talking of Jesus, he's the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. So here's a, here's a bit of a dilemma in, a, in one verse, right? We have to strenuously contend. That sounds like hard work. But not with my energy, but with his. And here's the thing. God gives us the ability. If we strenuously contend without his help, then we burn ourselves out. If we just wait for God to do it, when we're like the, the chap who's got his talent and he buries it because he doesn't do anything with it. God wants us to pour out what we have so that as we pour out, so more comes in. God's designed it so that we both receive the grace and, need, and the need to use it to be free. It's, it reminds me of when Jesus was asked about the most important commandment. When Jesus was asked about the most important commandment he answered um, he answered love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind this is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it love your neighbor as yourself all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands you see love drives all other change um, I've got a little physics picture here of uh, showing you the forces acting on a horse and cart Okay, action, reaction, normal force, weight. If you're late, later, I'll explain it to you if you're not sure. But the important thing is, the cart doesn't move if you haven't got a horse. Okay, it's technical. Okay. And so it's quite a high level. This is one horsepower. Now, try and move a car, it doesn't move. But if you've got a horse, it does. Now, it's interesting, Jesus has asked for the greatest commandment, and he doesn't answer the question, does he? Because what does he do? He gives two commandments. Have you ever noticed that before? I hadn't noticed that before. Isn't that funny? He gives, oh, he says, well, yeah, what is the greatest commandment? Oh, it's this one. Oh, but also it's this one. Now, it's important that you notice that there are two, because the second is like it, but the one that drives the cart is the first, I think. It's not accidental that he says, love the Lord your God first. Because it's our love for God that actually enables us to move on. It's our love for God that enables us to love others. So going back to this thing of strenuously contend with the power that Christ works in me, it, the strenuously contending is the loving of others to me. Well, it seems to be. Maybe it's just me that finds it hard to love others. I find it easy to love God because he just sort of, you know... He's done, he's done everything right. Loving people that haven't done everything right, that's much harder. So, so I want you to notice, um, so, what's, so what do we get from this? Well, really, I'm coming, back to the, I'm coming back to this in a moment, but I'm going to get back to Psalm 118. You can see where, where my mind's going. Maybe you can, maybe you can't. Who knows? You see, loving God wholeheartedly is at the heart of spiritual health. Um, if we love God, we will love others. It, it's, not, it's, not, 
it's impossible to love God and not love others. The one drives the other. And, um, and I, I just wanted to sort of bring that. That's why it's his love that endures forever. This covenantal love, this love that he's lavished on us, this love that he set on you. Perhaps you're here this morning and you don't yet know God. There's a love that he set on you that will last for whatever season you are facing right now. And we'll see you through into his arms. C.S. Lewis puts something that writes this. I think this is, uh, just made me think about the strength of his love. You see, we don't always realise the strength of his love. And I, I, I think, uh, well, of course we don't, because apparently we need to know this love, which is beyond knowledge. So that's what the Bible says. So, of course, we can't know it, but we, we have to reach for it. We have to grasp for it. And... And C.S. Lewis writes this, he says, Our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on playing with mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what's meant by the offer of a holiday by the sea. We're far too easily pleased. God wants us to be intimate with him. God wants us to be close to him, to know that love that endures forever. My invitation to you this morning is that that is the thing that brought Jesus through Good Friday. That is the thing that enabled him, knowing the love of God, knowing the presence of the love of God, enabled that power, enabled that that drive, enabled his whole life. But that same power is available to us because, because he's made us. In his image, he's filled us with his spirit. So we too can know it when we're facing our struggles, when we're facing things that aren't going right. He's right there alongside us. And better than that, it can be like the holiday by the seaside. We don't have to be scrabbling around in the mud. Take time to consider your own time that you spend with God. Does it satisfy See, God says, or the word says, taste and see that the Lord is good. He satisfies our desires with good things. If, if we're not in that place, one of us has moved, and it probably isn't God. If we're not in that place to receive, God, God's invitation to us today is to come to him, to stop playing with the things and to come to him afresh. So, I've only got through the first four verses. I do get quicker after this. So, when hard-pressed, it says in verse 5, I cried to the Lord. He brought me out into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do, do to me? The Lord is with me. He's my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. You see what I mean about him repeating stuff? It's like he's, it's like he's just padding it out, but he's not. He wants us to get that the Lord is with me. And he wants us to understand that he's not just passively alongside me. You know, someone could be with you and not make any difference. You know, I could be walking along the road, um, you know, and some stuff could start happening to me. You know, Mark could be alongside. He could say, oh, Neil's getting mugged. Oh, that's a shame. 
or he could do something to help, right? God's not passively alongside me. He's not just with me, as in that. He's with me. He's for me. He's, he's behind me. He's supporting me. He's watching my back. He's helping me say the right words. He's with me. Do you get what we mean when we say, the Lord is with me? What can man do to me? The Lord is with me. Hard-pressed, in the word there is to be in anguish or dire straits, not the band, uh, or distress. But he brings me to this spacious place. Sorry, that's probably a bit old for some people. Dire Straits was a band. <laughs> I discovered the other day, I was reading something, it said that 1970 is as far from 1917 as today is from 1970, and I found that quite scary. Never mind. Um, <sighs> anyway, so, you're in, you're in peril, um, God's with, but God's with me. Um, what does it mean? What does it mean to, to flee, to, to take refuge? Well, I think that we've been taking refuge this morning, you know. There's a refuge to be found in worship. There's a refuge to be found in the Psalms. There's a refuge to be found in, in the truths that we sing together. Because when we, when we do that, we're, we're, we're speaking out with our mouth something our spirit needs to hear. And, you know, I encouraged us last week to do that, to just... As we declare, the greatest days are, are still ahead. You know, th- this is something that is true. You know, there is a time coming that is greater than anything we have ever seen. It doesn't always mean immediate escape from what you're in. Taking refuge in God is about realising that God is enthroned despite or in spite of the circumstance you find yourself in. God's not panicking. God's not caught unawares. He's carrying out his perfect plan. Yeah. So God is with me. He's for me. He's behind me. He's alongside. He's on my side. He's my helper. We talk about that being, like that was in that Isaiah scripture that talks about being a wonderful counsellor. He sent us his spirit to, to strengthen us. Yeah? And we can try and trust in many things. And we can cry out to many things. But we need to cry out to God because he's the one who can help us. All the nations, it says, surrounded me. But in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They surrounded me on every side. But in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They swarmed around me like bees. And they were consumed as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them down. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my defence, and he has become my salvation. I don't know if you've ever seen a swarm of bees. Um, You probably can't even see who the gif is up there. Uh, It's Mr Bean, is at a picnic, and he's trying to avoid a a wasp that's come to stay. That reminds me of many family picnics. <laughs> like the time when we went, to, we were driving through France, and you know how you're driving on the big motorways and you have to take a break. So we stop off at this place, one of the service areas without the restaurant, because you don't want to stop at the ones with the restaurant because they're awful. But then the ones without the restaurant smell. But anyway, that's, that, it's because it's over there. Anyway, um, so we stop off, 
And, um, and we sit down. It's this lovely place, but it's quite hot. And there's a butterfly. I don't know. It's, oh, there's a butterfly. Well, that's a bit strange. So we sit down. We put down the picnic blanket. And there's another butterfly. And there's another butterfly. Now, let's just say, some of us might say, my mother used to go, well, so I would say, my mother used to go on holiday to a place called Marlow. And when she ever describes Marlow, she says, the wonderful thing was she'd walk through the long glass and all the butterflies would come up. And she was really, thought this was a really lovely thing. It was very beautiful. It was a memory she would always have of her childhood. Now, my children and butterflies were certain children whose names will be forever secret, and I will not possibly say who, which it was. Anyway, took somewhat of a, a reaction to these butterflies and screamed and ended up sitting in the car while I tried to eat my sandwich on the rug. And I decided that this was not working as a place to stop, so we went on to the next place. And I obviously dealt with the whole thing quite calmly, wasn't at all irritated or angry, just moved on. And I've never borne a grudge, and I never, you know, I've forgotten it all now. <laughs> but it was just for the purposes of research, I just recalled that to mind. Um, and there was another time I was with Andy um, at, uh, at school. Andy had come to my school to have a look round, which was really good fun. And um, when I first started teaching, and we had a meal in the pub opposite, no, yeah. anyway, opposite school, there's a pub opposite school called the Horse and Well. You have to not swap the letters around, because that makes it the worse than hell, and that's not what it is. <laughs> the horse and well. Um, and um, a wasp started buzzing around my sandwich. Now, because I'm with Andy, see, I'm going, I'm doing the Mr. Bean thing. Like, he said, don't, no, no, you'll make it angry. Just, just let him have a bit of your ham. And I'm like, really? <laughs> So this wasp lands on a bit of ham that's hanging out of my sandwich, and it carefully, I still remember it to this day, cut a little circle about half a centimetre across of the ham, and it just buzzed off with it, leaving my sandwich. It was so beautiful watching this thing do that. I tried not to think about the carrion that the wasp had probably been on just before, but I still have that memory. You see, sometimes, what's the point of these stories? <laughs> You know, sometimes we can get really freaked out by things that aren't harmful at all. And, um, and, you know, the enemy can surround us with stuff which isn't really stuff at all. And if you saw it in your sensible mind, you would not be bothered by it at all. But you are just freaked out by this stuff that's going on. And we need, in the name of the Lord, to cut it off. Yeah? Um, another time, it might look like something that's dangerous, but actually it's not. And, and, you know, I took that. There was another... Oh, I won't tell you another... Do you want... No, was it... The only, have you ever seen a swarm of bees? Like an actual swarm of bees moving? So I was... Oh, we were having an um, uh, end of uh, good leavers event at school, and we were in the sixth form common room, and, which looks out high up, and it's got like a balcony outside. And... And suddenly, all the doors were open because it was like a, uh, that, that sort of let the ventilation in. And suddenly, the room kind of went dark as this cloud of, I mean, I'm, I'm, I've no idea how many. It was, it was a lot of bees. Just go past. And they're clearly looking for somewhere to stay, you know. And you're thinking, I don't want them to stay. 
<laughs> so, so we've got all this nice food out. Anyway, they just went past. But it was just, it's just that when the enemy really does send things like that, it can really take your attention uh, and, and really distract you. We were at a nice event, but everyone's attention in that room was on that swarm of bees that went past. I don't know where they ended up. Probably at the school down the road. That's, let's hope so. No. <laughs> Um, so I was pushed so I was uh, they, so they so they, they the enemy can be so I don't know if you this uh, here is a, it's a little game you can do with some matches it's supposed to be about exponential growth right but you set up your matches like this and if you light one in the corner if they're close enough together suddenly one light sets a whole lot of light it was the closest thing I could get to a being burnt up like burning thorns you remember the th when, Jesus, when, when God speaks to Moses from the burning bush, the weird thing was that the bush kept on burning because burning bushes just go... That's the technical term for just burn up real quick. Um, but God can, God can deal with the enemy as quickly as that, as quickly as, it, um, as, quickly as these things pop up. You know, we, we talk about dealing with temptation. This is an illustration we've used before, but, you know, you can't always stop the thought from landing in your head. The enemy has an ability to drop a negative thought or a worry in your head. But we don't, as, like a bird landing on your head, you doesn't need to make a nest there. So you, there's a way of needing to, to deal with the thing that you're worried about as it, as it lands. Because the more you leave it there, the, the more intense it becomes and more significant the distraction. God is my strength and my defence, and he has become my salvation. So in the psalm at this point, we see a shift from all the stuff which is going on out there to the stuff which God is doing. And right now we're talking about the Lord being my strength and defence. Now, um, memories of camping trips for, for you folks. Um, here's, here's a picture of someone camping. Yep, Fred Flintstone apparently snoring. Um, what sounds are in your tent? Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. Resound, it's a funny word. Sound again. Echo. We've said them before, but we're going to say them again. You know, when God does good things, it's good to keep repeating them. It's good to keep telling the stories. We've encouraged you, we are encouraging you to tell your story to one another. How did you get to be where you are? How did God meet with you? Tell those stories again. When I was a teenager, I struggled with um, IBS, which is a lovely illness, irritable bowel syndrome. I had various investigations done. I had um, a barium meal, which is kind of like a McDonald's milkshake with more after effects. <laughs> um, and they had to do like an X-ray of me and various bits and pieces. Um, but I would be frequently sick, frequently. I would visit people and immediately my, my stomach would decide that no, this is the time you're going to have an, you're going to have an IBS attack. So I, so I remember, I think the first time I visited Christina's parents, probably the first few times, possibly the first three times I visited Christina's parents, I, 
I, I was really ill after I ate her mum's cooking, which wasn't, which wasn't to do with her mum's cooking. Really wasn't. It was just like every time I would just get ill, wouldn't I? And it wasn't very good. But when I was filled with the Spirit, God healed me. And I didn't have it anymore. It just went. So, what am I saying? Does God heal me of every illness I've ever had? No, but I have to remember. This was a thing that, I mean, I was only thinking about it as I was preparing this. This was a thing that had been investigated when I was like 14, 15. It was still a nuisance when I was 19, 20. And then I was healed, and I didn't have it anymore. So, so th- what I'm saying is, it's important to remember the things that God has done. You heard our testimony about finances a few weeks ago. God has done many things in my life and continues to do many things in my life. And I want to make sure that there are shouts of joy and victory in my tent, in my home. My tent, it doesn't mean a literal tent. It means the place where I live, doesn't it? Yeah? I mean, this is a, this is a thing that was said. It's a psalm um, was, 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 was used um, at other times uh, uh, to celebrate um, the Feast of Tabernacles, I think, because it goes on to talk about branches and things, and it's the time when the Jewish people live in a tent for a while to remember their wandering in the wilderness. And, um, yeah, so, so that... But the point is that at that time they were living in tents, and that's where we live. We live now in houses, most of us, or flats or whatever. So in those places, are there shouts of joy and victory? The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand has lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die, but live. And will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Remember, this is what Jesus was able to recite in his head on the last day, on on Good Friday, as he's going through all of that stuff. This is what he's just been meditating on. It's incredible. A psalm of David, 800 years before Christ, remembered 400 years before Christ, coming into power at the time of Christ. And we're able to read it today and get stuff out of it for us today. We have to be clear about why these things happen. It's the Lord's right hand that's done it. His strength, his power, um, fundamental to the psalm is that God's at work throughout the story whether it's good stuff that's happening or bad stuff for Jesus on the night of betrayal that was also true so open now for me the gates of righteousness I will enter and give thanks to the Lord it is the gate of this is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter I will give you thanks for you answered me you have become my salvation The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it's marvellous in our eyes. Now, the story goes that the the people building the temple, uh, as you know, when they were building the temple, they they had to work out the stones in a quarry and then take them to the place where the temple was being built. They couldn't actually work on the stone where the temple was being assembled. And they had this rock that was not really the right shape, they thought. It was a bit clumsy and not, didn't do the right thing. So they, they left it on one side. 
Now they got to a point where they needed to join two walls together. And they found that this rock, which they'd thrown away, was just the right size for the hole. Now, that's, I don't know whether that's true. It's not recorded in the Bible. It's a legend. But the legend led to this psalm being written. What God does in the natural is often followed by something in the spiritual. Jesus was rejected by his own people. He didn't seem to fit. And yet he was the very thing, the very one, that God always intended the whole building to be held around the Lord has done it this very day let us rejoice and be glad Lord save us Lord grant us success you know as Jesus went into Jerusalem and they were saying Hosanna that's the word on palms what we remember on palms so there was a time when when the when the Jesus marches into Jerusalem uh, marches. He's on a donkey, so I don't suppose you can really march on a donkey. He rides into Jerusalem, and they're waving palms around. This psalm talks about, we're just about to see, this psalm talks about palms. Got to be careful how you say that. This, and as he's, that word there, Lord save us, is Hosanna. It's Hosanna. So when they're saying Hosanna, again, it comes from this psalm. Earlier in the week, he's heard it. Now it's, now it's uh, the Passover meal. He's hearing it again. Lord, save us. Something to meditate on. Grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is good. He has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his love endures forever. You see, what, what this is all about is our living, real God who saves us. This is about not some ethereal being that we've dreamt up, but this is about a God who we can be in the presence of, a God who's alongside us, a God who wants to be for us and is for us and alongside. This is a God who commands our praise. This is a God who makes days. Um, the NIV, somewhere between uh, 1994 and when this translation came out, has changed the words of verse 24. Um, the Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice and be glad. Is This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. I like both translations. I'll just be... I'll just put... But I, like, I like the idea of talking about the day the Lord has made. But the important thing is... This, is, he's talk, this, this verse 24 is talking about the capstone... This is talking about the stone that the builders rejected and God has made it to be the capstone. And Jesus had that in his head as he was going through Good Friday. So now we see the promise that Jesus took to the cross. I will not die, but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. Jesus carried to the cross the knowledge of his relationship with a living God who would not let him go. So we can do the same. Our God is alive, and because he's alive, we can face things in our lives. We can face things with hope. We can face things expecting God to, 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 to deal with the enemy who seems to swarm around and to, to really be everywhere you look. I mean, that's the thing about a swarm, isn't it? 
thing about a swarm is if you're in a swarm, it's bad news. I suppose um, because you, it's, like, it's like if you've ever walked in sheep country and the flies decide to take an interest in you, it's so annoying. It doesn't matter which way you look, they're just buzzing around you. And the enemy can be like that. But God deals with the enemy. God promises to deal with the enemy, even though he swarm, even though he threaten. And as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, let's remember that he's our Emmanuel. He's our God with us. He's not just with us, not just present. He's for us, behind us, and on our side. We're going to finish with this song. Um, and um, it's a song that I think you'll, you'll recognise. Because he lives, God sent his son, they called him Jesus, he came to love, heal and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove that my saviour lives. And because he lives, I can face tomorrow. And because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know that he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. Let's think about those words that C.S. Lewis talked about. You know, the the, the magnitude, the wonder of our relationship with God that we have for the taking or for the receiving. I'm not sure the right word is. To, to receive. God wants you to receive uh, that relationship with him. That, that so, so fills your vision, so fills your heart that, you know, uh, sometimes God doesn't give us what we're looking for in, in prayer because he is a better answer than the prayer that we've been asking. And, and he's saying, you know, I know you want this thing, but hey, spend time with me. Thank you for listening to this podcast by Lifeline Church. We hope this message has been an encouragement to you. We are a relational church with a passion to demonstrate God's love to one another and our surrounding community in real and practical ways. We believe that God has called us to have an impact on our families, our communities and our nation. We'd love to connect further with you, so please do visit our website at lifelinechurch.co.uk, on Facebook, lifeline.church.uk or Twitter at lifelineuk.co.uk.